Hey, my name is Amanda. I want to thank you for joining us today. We hope that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you find your next step toward Jesus. Enjoy the message. Scripture reading today is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. It is good to see you again. Uh, Our family does sneak into Cape each summer. We're good friends with Kim and Tom Holman and their family, and uh, they very graciously just let us hang out in their pool. We come worship with you sometimes, sneak into the back, and we do have food giant fried chicken every time we come. Uh, You don't know what special thing you have here, some of you, but thank you so much for graciously inviting me to come and share with you this morning. Well, I want you to imagine something this morning. Uh, Imagine with me that you have some yard work to do on a Sunday afternoon like today. And you are out in the blazing heat. Are you imagining this? This this is not hard to imagine in a week when you're supposed to hit about 100 degrees. And being overheated after being out in the sun for a while, you decide it's time to cool off. And so you, you come inside, grab some water, and plop down on the couch and grab the remote. You're just skipping through the channels to see if anything interesting is on for a little bit. And then you find something that intrigues you. It's a movie that's on. It's something that you've never seen before, a war drama. Uh, You're putting together the context clues, and you figure out this is a World War II story. You're clever. You know this because the bad guys are Nazis, and they're chasing someone. This, This seems to be the height of the drama of the whole movie. They're chasing after a group. You're trying to figure out who... Who is it? Oh my goodness, it's a, it's a group of children. And so that makes it even more suspenseful, right? And, and this scene has been set in a way that really sets it as dark and scary because it's set in a, a crypt, a graveyard. And the children are like hiding behind monuments and gravestones and the Nazis are sweeping out with these flashlights, these spotlights to try to spot them. And every time one comes over where one of the kids is hiding, you think to yourself, oh, no, they're about to be found. But no, so far they're remaining hidden. 
You can't believe you've gotten caught up in all this so quickly when you have no idea what the rest of the story is about. And there's a moment that you realize there's a, a young Nazi with the group who's befriended them and has been helping them. But in a twist that you didn't see coming, he betrays them and calls his captain over, and he's about to turn them over. They're certainly about to be caught. You're holding your breath when the front door opens, and your spouse comes in and asks for your help. Turns out you, you left the gate open while you were doing yard work, and your dog got out. The escape artist is running down the street, and your spouse needs your help chasing after them. And so very reluctantly, you switch off the TV, walk outside and begin to chase down your dog. Darn, you think, I'll, now I'll never know. I'll never know how that dramatic story ended. But it haunts you for the rest of the day. You're thinking, what, what was that movie? I, I would love to watch the whole thing. I wonder what the rest of the story is about. And, and you just happen to mention to your, your spouse later that day, hey, honey, did you happen to see what was on when I was watching TV when you walked in? You know, that scary, dramatic World War II drama, Nazis chasing children through a graveyard. Do you know the name of this obscure movie? And your spouse is like, are you talking about the sound of music? <laughs> You're like, that was the sound of music? How, how could this cheery, joyful movie filled with things like do, re, mi, and a few of my favorite things, and I am 16, going on 17, be this scene that you saw. How could that be located in a musical of all things? It, it just seems to be this disconnect. What is that terrible scene doing in the middle of this beautiful movie? Now think, think for a moment about your own favorite movie. Do you have a favorite movie? What if somebody walked in in the middle and just saw a little clip? Could they misunderstand what your favorite movie is about? I mean, it's easy to misunderstand a story if you only just get a snippet of it. If, if you were just to see one scene, you, it might make a comedy seem like a tragedy. It, it might make a horror movie seem like a comedy or a happily ever after ending romance seem like a hopeless and conflict-ridden drama. Every one of our lives is made up of different scenes, different moments in our story. And I don't know you, but I can guarantee you've had some drama. Am I right? You have had some scenes that have been dramatic and horrible. And it's easy to get stuck in that one scene. One story can sometimes dominate our whole life story just because it was so powerful. And all of us have these scenes that are terrible or difficult or dramatic. But what makes the difference is what we do with that part of our story. In the gospel story from the Gospel of John that was read for us today, there's a story about a man who is stuck in a particular part of his story. It's a man who's spending the afternoon at the pool not the kind of pool that you will wish you were spending the afternoon at when you're doing yard work and chasing your runaway dog. This pool is called the Pool of Bethesda. It's located in Jerusalem, and it's a place associated with sickness, but also with miraculous healing. Whether it was a legend or a rumor or maybe even a, a true story, a reality, there was a legend about this pool that Whenever the waters were stirred up, there was a healing opportunity for people. 
Now, I like the way that this one translation translates that stirred up part. It says, whenever the waters were troubled, troubles or stirred up, that when people went down, the very first person to get in when the waters were troubled would be healed. Now, we don't know where that story or legend came from, but in a day that was pre-scientific, pre-modern medicine, people were looking for hope just about anywhere. And so crowds of sick people, crowds of those who had disabilities or illnesses or issues that they needed resolving would gather around this pool. If you go to Jerusalem, you can see the ruins for yourself. These excavated pools, connected pools, go down 20 feet deep. And they are as long as a football field. Can you imagine a crowd that you could get around that? And here sits this man from our story today, maybe at the 50-yard the line, right? Maybe, maybe farther back. But in any case, his whole life had been sidelined by this part of his story, by his illness. It was overwhelming, the main part of his life. And into that crowd on this particular day walks Jesus, walking among the sick and the needy and the the helpless and hopeless, and he seeks out this one man. And he comes to him and asks him a question, a life-changing question. That question is, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made well? Now, that seems like an odd question to me. Does it seem like an odd question to you? This would be like if one of us went down to the local ER and, and walked into the emergency room's waiting room filled with waiting people and found the sickest person there. Maybe somebody with a, a tourniquet around their arm to stop the bleeding. Maybe, maybe a bloody rag covering up an injury. And we just walked up to them and said, hey, did you want to see the doctor? I mean, that seems like a dumb question, doesn't it? People who are sick come to a place of healing because they want to be made well. Isn't that right? But it's interesting that Jesus asks this man this question. Um, why would you approach a sick person and ask, do you want to be made well? This man has been sick almost 40 years, longer than most people in those days lived. And Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? I love how uh, well-known Bible teacher Beth Moore says that God asks questions in the Bible even though he already knows the answers. He's not asking them for information, but to achieve interaction, to help the person that he's asking enter into a new story, to tell their story and enter into a new story. And so Jesus isn't asking this seemingly obvious question because he doesn't know the answer. Jesus is giving this man a chance to tell his story. Oh, and he does. This man immediately says, sir, Sir, the man says to Jesus, no one is here to help me. Every time these waters become troubled or stirred up, every time there's a chance for healing, somebody gets there before I do. Because I have no one to help me get in. Other people have help, but I'm here all alone. Someone gets there before me. And so day after day, I wait here, but I have no one to help. Do you hear the, the panic in his voice, the, the drama? the struggle in this one scene that he is just stuck in day after day of his life. But just because someone is stuck in their drama doesn't mean their drama isn't very real. This man's sickness, his pain, has become the overwhelming focus of his whole life. 
And he tells this story because it's the only story he knows. Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? And then Jesus listens to him. Jesus listens to his story. When we bring our stories to Jesus, even if he already knows, he's inviting us to share our pain, our struggle, our things that we're going through with him, and he listens. Jesus doesn't condemn this man. He doesn't belittle him. He doesn't try to convince him that that story's not real or important. Instead, he gives the man a chance to enter into a different story. The man has told him, no one is here to help me. And so Jesus, in effect, is saying, I'm here. I am here to help you. Now get up and take up your mat and walk. I love, I love that Jesus doesn't do it for him. He doesn't pick him up or pull him up. He doesn't, you know, use his godly power to levitate him off that mat in this healing. He invites him to participate in his own healing. He invites him to move these limbs that could not move, and yet he infuses his own power into the situation. Somehow this partnership between our call to participate in our healing and God's power working through us, and healing happens. This man who felt helpless and alone and had no hope, he does what Jesus says, and he gets up and picks up his mat and walks. After all these years of waiting on something, on troubled waters at the pool that was at best a gamble, Jesus comes along and offers him a gift. And he decides to take the gift instead of waiting on the gamble. Instead of just waiting for something else, this man trusts Jesus and he is healed. You know, one of the strangest things about humanity is how we will seek healing in places that are just not helpful. Um, It was mentioned that I recently wrote a book on chaos, and this was one of the things that fascinated me about the chaos in our lives, is that chaos comes into all of our lives, but all of us somehow choose another chaos to dive into to try to cover it up, right? Do you know this about yourself or others? Any counselor will tell you that when people come to their office desperate for help and hope, they often come telling a story of what they will call the presenting issue. The thing that brings them in that day is often not the deeper thing, the pain that they're struggling with, but the thing that they have run to to try to run out of that pain. And that thing itself, the troubled waters that they go to, are the thing that rise up and overwhelm their lives. Sometimes when we have a deeper problem, we don't acknowledge it, but we latch on to something else to numb us or distract us or try to escape from it. And then that very thing that we sought to get out of our chaos becomes our chaos itself. These counselors will tell you that when people come in, they're they're sometimes sleeping too little or spending too much. They're eating too little or too much or working around the clock. They're withdrawing from relationships or diving into relationships that are unhealthy. They're they're going to troubled waters again and again. Even though that's not really the source of their pain initially, that's the coping mechanism that has become the waters that have overwhelmed them. If we are honest with ourselves, all of us have coping mechanisms. We all have things that we've sought out to, to try to quell the pain that rises up in our lives. And sometimes when we turn for help to something else, it turns out to be the very chaos that overwhelms us. This might have been any of us. 
telling Jesus what we're struggling with, right? Do you want to be made well? Well, Jesus, let me tell you about the water. Let me tell you that no one's here to help me. Notice that the man doesn't say, let me tell you what's wrong with my body or how long I've been in this. He has become so focused on the troubled waters where he's seeking help that that's become the thing that is the focus of his life. There is a lot of troubled water in our world. There are so many places that we're invited to go to for help and hope. There, there's no shortage. And yet, Jesus wants to go deeper with us, not just to places that trouble us even more, but to places of real and true healing. Now, when this man starts walking around with his mat, <laughs> running into people who know him and have seen him for 38 years unable to walk, you would think somebody would throw him a party, right? That everyone would begin celebrating and joyously asking questions about it, but that is just not the case in this story. What happens next is that he runs into a group of Pharisees. These are religious leaders who were out policing people to make sure they were following all the rules. And this happened to be the Sabbath, uh, the day of rest, and the day that you were supposed to do no work. And so even carrying his mat got him in trouble. These Pharisees were people who controlled the chaos of life by following every rule they could find. And when they had done that, they made up rules about how to follow the rules. And when they had done that, they made up rules about how to follow the rules, about how to follow the rules. This is the other kind of troubled waters, right? Where we try to so control the chaos in life that we make it even more chaotic. And what they were really the best at was not policing themselves. No, what they loved to do was police other people. So they found this man carrying his mat illegally against their rules on the Sabbath, and they found out that he had been healed on the Sabbath. And instead of that bringing them joy, they were actually upset that Jesus had broken that rule to heal this man. How dare he heal someone who needed it on the Sabbath? The Pharisees were after controlling the chaos of life, thinking they could make it all okay. So while the man at the pool lived his life by saying, no one is here to help me, the Pharisees were just going around saying, well, we will just help ourselves and everyone else. These two options, if you put them side by side in one of our modern bookstores, one would be in the book section on self-acceptance. I'm okay, you're okay, let's not do anything about it. And the other would be in the section on self-improvement. Let's work so hard for control that we control everything into chaos itself. Now, there's nothing wrong with self-acceptance. There's nothing wrong with self-improvement. The problem is that problems caused by the self cannot be fixed by the self. That is such a small story that we continue to run to again and again while God offers us this bigger story. When we're looking for a way out of troubled waters, we often feel like we have to choose, just give up and sink or just get everything under our control. Maybe we can fix it. One is the way of self-acceptance. One of the way is the way of self-improvement. But the trouble is they're both about the self. Now Jesus has a much bigger story for us than the story of the self. I love how this story, this man's story, the story of the man at the pool, points to the larger story. It's not even just about him, how even as Jesus is telling this man to get up, to rise up, take up his mat and walk, he is leaving clues for us to the ultimate story, 
the one he wants us involved in, leaving clues, not just for the man at the pool, but for everyone who will hear his story from now on out. Does anybody, do you know what an Easter egg is? Anybody heard of that before? I'm not talking about the ones you hunt or hide on Easter morning. Easter eggs are clues in movies or video games or other kinds of stories where the, the person who creates them leaves these little clues that point to another story. Like one movie might have something in it that you think, wow, that reminds me of something in a different movie. Uh, those who create leave Easter eggs, especially for those people who watch a lot or watch something over and over and search for these little clues. An Easter egg's a, a clue that is left for us in a story pointing to another story. And one thing I love about this story at the pool in Jerusalem is that Jesus leaves an Easter egg for us. When he says to this man, get up, rise up from your mat and walk, the word that Jesus uses there for get up or rise up is one that's used in other places. And so if you follow the trail of clues, you find this out. One is that Jesus uses it in other places. When he, when he tells other people who are paralyzed or hurt to get up, he uses this word, rise, get up. Another is that when Jesus is raising someone from the dead, and he does this in scripture, he uses the same word. When he's speaking to a dead person and bringing them to life, Jesus says, rise, same word. And later in the Gospels, when we get to the heart of the story, the ultimate reason that Jesus came, when we get to the story of the cross and Jesus is in the tomb, and when we're waiting for three days to find out, does this story have any kind of hopeful ending, the word that is used for Jesus being raised from the dead is the same word, rise. He got so when the disciples come to the tomb looking for a dead body, someone says to them, why are you looking for the, the living among the dead? He has risen. He got up. Same word. God is planting this word here for us to remind us. It's not just about this man's illness or struggle. This is a gift for all of us. We're being invited out of the single story that we find ourselves repeating and wondering, is there any help or hope into this larger, beautiful story, the story of Christ rising again and saying to us, this is a gift not just for the man but for all of you. I want you to get up. I came so that you could get up, rise and be with me. Isn't that a beautiful gift? Listen, a lot, a lot of us have felt in this season as if we were living in a drama, a scene on repeat that does not seem to end. All of us have had struggles in the last few years. I mean, I'm not sure that my childhood diet of movies prepared me for adult life, right? Like watching things like The Sound of Music and Mary Poppins prepared me for a life full of global pandemics and school shootings and ongoing wars, I'm not sure I was prepared to navigate this season, the chaos, even just of daily life. But when I start looking for something that is certain to hang on to, when I start reaching out, trying to find what it is that will be my help and hope, looking for the thing to immerse myself in that will take away pain and make me feel better, the troubled waters of this world are just not getting it. They are not getting better. And the things the world invites us to numb ourselves with or to escape into 
even if they seem fine in the moment, they are not an ultimate help. In fact, when we immerse ourselves in the waters of the world, often we find there is more pain there, more chaos there, and we're just working on the presenting issue and not really looking at the deeper struggles that we have in life. Instead, when I'm looking for help and hope, I find myself looking into the face of this Jesus who looks into our eyes and says, do you want to be made well? Are you ready? Get up, come with me. A few years ago, a, a new student at the seminary where I work, a graduate student, was telling me a little bit about his family back home. He had just started in school and he was missing his home. He had moved halfway across the country to go to school. And he, he was telling me a little bit about his hometown and his parents and each member of his family. But I noticed that when he got to the story about his youngest sister, that his eyes softened and he teared up a little bit. His little sister, she was much younger than him and she, as he put it, was really struggling with her mental health. She had struggled from a, a very young age with intrusive thoughts, with her young mind racing and spiraling into places that were not connected to reality but in a very dark place. And he told me how hard it had been for him to leave home and move away because they were very close and he was part of the good and grounded part of her life that kept her going. Now his parents, he said, were getting her help. They had teachers and counselors and professionals all circling around her and helping her, making sure she was seen and heard and helped. But she still had some very hard days, he said. And the family was worried sometimes about keeping her grounded in reality and letting her know that she was loved and safe. And the night before, our conversation, he said, had been one of those hard days that uh, his parents had called him in a panic that his sister had been crying for hours and um, just like a child, you know, frightened in a storm that might run to their governess's room to hear about a few of their favorite things, this child needed someone to offer some beauty into her pain. But this storm was going on internally inside of her. So they called her other older brother and put him on the phone. He said he spent hours on the phone with her just trying to listen and talk her through it. And he said part of the problem was she just... She was in a place where she wasn't sure what was real. With all these thoughts, wasn't sure what was true. And so he asked her. He asked her a question. He said, I want you to tell me one thing that you know is real. One thing that you know is true. What is it? And without hesitation, she said to him, I know that you're real, and I know that you love me. I know that you're real. I know that you love me. Friends, when we are looking for something, anything, to quell the chaos and struggle and darkness, there is an infinite number of things that we could reach out for. The world will offer you so many. And even if they're good things, the more, the more we dive in, the more they themselves will become part of the chaos. But this one grounding thing is God's help and hope left to us as a gift that we can know that he's real and we know that he loves us and that in the turmoil of life, even when things are difficult, we can't see outside of just this one little scene that in the scheme of Jesus' larger story will be just a blip, that we can look to him and see 
his help, his hope, his hand lifting us up, the one who's real and loves us truly. Let's pray. God, we are grateful this morning that you are here. We're grateful that we don't have to wonder, but that we know. We know your heart, Lord. We know that you have left us clues throughout your story, inviting us in. And that even, God, when we get caught up in one scene, one drama, even as real as it is for us, Lord, you help us to see that we're part of this larger story. So, Lord, we look for you now, your hand out, your eyes loving, lifting us up again, and inviting us to get up. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.